Morning. How are we all doing today? Good. The kids did such an excellent job, didn't they? Yeah, they did. What an, what an awesome opportunity to be able to gather together and to hear the next generation expressing worship to Jesus. Uh, God with us. What a blessing it is. It's really exciting that we get to hear them sing, and I know that we pray that those words be true in their life, too. Uh, this morning, uh, I have the privilege of just taking a few minutes uh, to talk about the most important place where ministry and discipleship occurs, and that's the home. So this morning, we're going to talk briefly about the importance of parents and their role in discipling their children, and also the broader role of the church in, in discipling kids. Uh, the main title that I want to unpack, uh, and the, the, the title of the sermon is Making Disciples at Home, but the bottom line is that discipleship at home starts with me and overflows to others. And so as we talk about that, we know that um, the goal of this brief message is that parents would understand that we have been given a privilege to steward and to raise living beings who are image bearers of God, to help them know him, love him, and serve him. And then broadly, as a church, we know in Matthew 28 that each of us has been given the responsibility of making disciples. And so, as we've heard weeks past, that the blessings of God come through Christ to the church. And so part of a child's rearing, part of them becoming a disciple of Jesus, is other men and women who are filled with the Spirit of God helping and helping parents raise those kids up. And so this morning, as we look at that, uh, Martin Luther writes this. He says, God grants offspring and commands they be brought up to worship and serve him. In all the world, this is the noblest and most precious work, because to God there can be nothing dearer than the salvation of souls. There is no greater or nobler authority on earth than that of parents over their children, for this authority is both spiritual and temporal. And so it's the privilege of parents to be able to raise children to come to know Jesus, to love him, to serve him with their lives. My desire this morning in the next 20 minutes or so is to unpack to you some practical things we can do in our home and even as believers to help kids walk in discipleship, to become followers of Jesus. What I want you to hear first though and what can often happen with parents is we can find ourselves given to shame and given to a feeling of condemnation because we make mistakes or we feel like we're not doing enough or we look over at another family and think we should do it like them. And the first thing I want you to know is the goal is not for you to compare yourself with other people. The reality I want us to understand this morning is that I'm not asking us to do anything more than we're already doing this morning. All I'm asking is that we be intentional with the time that we have. Okay, and so as we talk about this, uh, and by the way, as we think about that, uh, discipleship, that's what it is. Discipleship is partly caught and it's partly taught, meaning that it's by the way we live. If you, think, if you consider what Jesus did, even in his command in Matthew 28, it was to make disciples, and in the actual languages, make disciples as you go. So we're not really talking about uh, a class, we're not talking about a curriculum, we're talking about your life. And through your life, through you uh, being discipled first, that overflows and affects others. So two points this morning that we're going to talk about. The first is that if I'm going to make disciples at home, it's got to start with me. Uh, a book I read uh, by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he talks about in that book how you and I cannot control what anyone else does. We can't control how our kids act. We can't control when they scream, when they cry, when they're happy. We can't control those things. And broadly speaking, I cannot control if and when my son accepts to receive the Lord Jesus as Savior. What I can do and what I do have control over is how I live, my response to situations, how I act. I am response-able. And so what we want to do is we want to take responsibility for the influence we have, the time we have, and utilize it effectively. 
I think of 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And so if I want to raise my son, if we want to raise our kids to be imitators of Jesus, we ourselves must imitate Jesus. And so it starts with me. And as we look at this, uh, as I was thinking about this, all of us have been on a plane ride at some point, I'm sure. And when you think about airplane rides, one of the things that always happens as you're sitting there, you're buckled in, the air's not on yet, so you're hot. There's some kids screaming in the back of the plane. It might be yours, it might be someone else. You're sitting there waiting for the plane to come out and taxi to take off. And something they do every time is they have what's called a pre-flight safety briefing. And in that, they go through all the different safety features of the aircraft and what you should do in emergency situations. The one that always catches my attention is the one where if the cabin pressure in the aircraft leaves, right, and what happens is those masks drop. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of cool things on an airplane to see, a lot of cool things you can look out the window to see, but those yellow masks is not one of them. You don't want to see that. The thing I find interesting about these yellow masks, though, is they teach you to think of yourself first. They tell you that you need to put the mask on yourself, ensure that it's secure, then you can help other people like your children and your family members. What an interesting thought that I am given permission to think about myself before my kids. And the reason for that, obviously, is if I lose consciousness, they can't get a mask. In discipleship, it's similar. I need to focus on my personal walk of the Lord. I need to be engaged with him because if I'm not imitating him, if I'm not walking with him, then I cannot pass that along to someone else. In fact, I might find myself doing more detriment than good. And so as we look at this, look with me in verse uh, 4. And as we think about this text, the first three verses are basically telling us that Moses has given the people of God the law. And in verse 2, we're told that it would be that they would fear him. And in other words, this means that they would stand in awe of him. Here's what happens to people when we uh, are in a relationship with God over time, we're in relationship to others at the church over time. We can lose our awe sometimes. Sometimes we can get into the mundane, we can kind of get into the rhythm, and it can kind of just go on and on and on and on. And what we have to get back to is an awe for who God is. And so he tells us in verse 4, this is who God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's as if he's talking to the people and saying, hey, listen up. Listen to what I have to say. Your Lord, the, the only Lord, he is one Lord. And the, the reason this is so important is because they're getting ready to go into a land, the promised land, where there's people groups who are pagans. They're worshiping multitude of deities and false gods. And they had this burden on them of having to please all these different gods. Each god had their own rules. Each god had their own means to which you could worship and bring them glory. And then Moses says to the Israelites, you have one Lord. Worship him of everything you've got. And so when we look at this text, we're told, uh, and it's a, it's a really kind of an easy reminder, right, that we need to worship the Lord of everything we have. And yet, we're talking about a people who saw God split the Red Sea for them to go through to, to escape Egypt and Pharaoh. We're talking about a people who were fed bread every morning without any work of their own. We're talking about people who received water out of a rock. And yet, they needed to be reminded, who is your Lord? Who is your God? We need to be reminded. And we need to have our awe brought back to who he is. And so the first thing, like I said, in order to make disciples in my home, I need to know him personally. And uh, one of the books that I would recommend to you, uh, this gentleman, he wrote the book, Bruce Ware, and he actually would have conversations with his kids every night about different questions they have. And over the years, he compiled them and wrote a book. And so it's kind of a question-answer format about theology. And what he says regarding this is, the true God, the God of the Bible, is both perfectly wise and almighty in his power. He is able to plan what is best, and nothing can keep God from bringing about what he knows is best to do. Furthermore, he is all good. So what are we saying here? 
We're saying that God, the one Lord, the God we serve, he is all wise, he has all power, and he is all good, meaning that when he decides to do something, it's best. No one can stop him, and it's always for good. That is who our God is. We don't have to worry about all these other distractions. We focus on him, and he is worthy of our focus. And so uh, three things he tells us now in verse 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And I love how Moses gives us some practical steps right after he makes a statement about who God is. Because serving God is not just an emotional thing. It requires action. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And in Hebrew, this typically referred to the mind. And so we're talking about loving the Lord our God with all of our intellect, with all of our thinking. And, and we know that the thinking and the mind is so important. If you win the battle of the mind, you win the battle. Because the mind impacts the heart. Proverbs 4.23 tells us that we are to guard our heart, for from it flow the issues of life. Right? In 2 Corinthians 10.5, we're told to take captive every thought. Because right? here's the thing. There are going to be times when we have thoughts that are not pleasing to the Lord. There's going to be times when we have thoughts that are temptations. Or maybe your kid is, is having a rough day and you're having a hard time having nice thoughts towards them. And here's what we can do. We can take captive every thought for the Lord. And then thirdly, set your mind on things above, Colossians 3.1. So I have to consciously and give effort to making sure my mind is set on the things of the Lord. The next verse he tells us, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. How is it that these will be in my heart? My mind is what it's saying. By me meditating on scripture, memorizing scripture, thinking on the scriptures. Joshua 1, 8 says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Right? So it's something that's constantly to be on our mind. Now, when we're saying meditating, we're not saying go in the closet for four hours and just read your Bible. What we're saying is that we're wanting to integrate all of life through our relationship with God. Every situation, every conversation, I want to involve the Lord in what's happening. Okay? And so uh, it's the heart. Then the soul is the second part. This refers to the innermost being, the emotions, the desires. Right? If you're like me, emotions and desires can sometimes be like this. And what we're being told here in this text is that we need to bring those emotions and desires into line with God's will. And the way that I do this is, for instance, when I'm battling anxiety or worry, whether it's about my kid or it's about a situation I'm dealing with at work, what am I to do? I'm to pray. And as I pray and as I give my request to the Lord, not only does he hear me, but the result is I receive his peace. Right? And so when I'm going through situations, the way that I align my feelings, the way that I align my, my emotions is I confess them, I pray them. I let God know what's going on. He already knows, but I let him know. Right? And then the next thing is who I am both comforts and empowers me to battle shame. Romans 8.1 tells us that there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I believe, and in, in a lot of the books I've read, a lot of times parents can be given to condemnation, to shame, because sometimes things don't go how we want them to go. And the thing that we need to keep clear in our minds is that we are no longer under shame. We are no longer under condemnation. Right? Through Christ Jesus, we are free of that. And so I need to battle to make sure my mind is, is set on and thinking on things that are above and then I need to get my emotions and, di and desires in line with that. And then lastly, he says, all thy might, which simply means everything you got. Right? I am going to put all my effort into ensuring that my mind is set on the truth of God's word and that what I'm feeling is secondary to what God's word says, not primary. Right? And so as we think about this, as we strive to allow God's word to dictate our thoughts in our most being, uh, we find the second part comes naturally. The first part is if I want to make disciples in my home, it starts with me. And then the second part is it overflows to those around me. Uh, when Naomi and I first bought our home about two and a half years ago, 
we met with the inspector and we also talked with the former uh, homeowners. And uh, as you know, uh, Michigan basements at times have water. And so we were speaking with them and we come to find out that oftentimes water would come into the basement. And the reason for it is that the gutters would get clogged up. Right, so the point of the gutters is as, as it rains and as those gutters overflow, the point is that they would take that water away from the house. And so when there's deli uh, deliberate planning and intentional thinking into the gutters, the water goes out into the yard instead of in my basement. And it's similar with discipleship. Right? There's a sense in which my ability to teach my son and the ability to teach other people to follow Christ is an overflow of how I live and who I am. And yet, I can be intentional in directing how that influence carries out. And in fact, I think we need to be. And so we see here in verse 7, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. The idea of diligence here, uh, it's the idea of, a, of a, a stone rock being taken and them chiseling words into it. It's this idea of cutting through or piercing through. There's a sense in which we need the word of God to pierce through the hearts of our children. We need it to pierce through our hearts. Because if you're anything like me, you grew up in church, you grew up every time the doors were open, you were there, you knew the right answers, you enjoyed yourself, but it wasn't until the word of God cut through my heart that I had a desire to follow him. We need the word of God to cut through the heart of our children, and that is an intentional effort over time. So we need to be thinking on how am I going to teach my kids who God is? How am I going to teach them the truths of his word? How am I going to teach, teach them about what he's like? And so there needs to be intentional effort, but then the second part is that we need to teach them through natural, everyday circumstances and rhythms. Uh, in the second half of this verse is what we find. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And so we see here that there is a portion of discipleship that is intentional, and I have a plan, and I'm teaching based on that plan. But then there's a part that I'm just living my life. I'm in my home enjoying meals with my kids. I'm doing the chores. I'm showing them how to live a life that brings glory to God just in my everyday life. I don't have to do anything extra. Just do what I do for his glory. And then we're told that as we go by the way or walk by the way, the idea in my mind here is when you're driving. Right? I was going to say when you drive to school, you can't quite do that right now. But when you're driving to the grocery store, when you're running errands, the thought is that you are using that as an opportunity to share who the Lord is with your kids and to talk about it and to ask, have them ask questions. When they lie down, when they go to bed, that's an opportunity to talk with them about who the Lord is and when they rise up. And so Moses gives us natural rhythms that we can utilize to disciple our kids. And again, when we think of what Jesus did, it was not a three and a half year seminary. He walked with his disciples, he taught them what they needed to know, oftentimes based on their failures. And he used those as learning experiences to help them to learn to walk with him. We get to do the same thing. Yes, we need to be intentional in what we teach, but keep in mind, no matter what you're saying, your life is speaking a lot louder. And so the way I live overflows to others. And so as we think about this, um, in verse 8, this is always, this is interesting to me. I never really picked up on this before, but 8 and 9 have very practical implications. Verse 8 says this, Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they should be as frontless between thine eyes. So the idea is that there's to be a reminder that my hand is what carries out the actions. And my hand needs to carry out actions that bring glory to God. And then the frontlets, basically my forehead, what I think about, the way I look at the world, the way the glasses I see everything through needs to align with the word of God. Because here's the thing, we learn, again, a lot more by being around someone than by sitting under their teaching. 
And so when we are living a life that is through a biblical lens, through a lens of a Christian worldview, we are naturally pouring into other people's lives. And it needs to guide us. And then the next part is in verse 9, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. The idea here is that what you're teaching and what you're living in your home needs to be lived in your community. It needs to match. You need to be the same person in your private life as you are in your public life. And as we do that, guess who's watching? Our kids. And that's really a big deal because if you're like me, you make big boo-boos sometimes. And that means they see it. They see that daddy sins. They see that mommy sins. And it's an opportunity to share the gospel. Yes, I sin. And I've been forgiven. Yes, I fall short. But God has shown me grace. And so it really governs how we operate because now in my daily life, I have opportunities through my own mistakes to teach them how to follow Jesus. And so just a few um, closing thoughts, applications here. The first thing is this. The gospel is both my example and my comfort. It's my example and my comfort. It's my example because uh, I am a sinful person who God showed favor to, who God forgave. Uh, I'm someone who he has shown grace to time and time again. And in spite of all that, he still sends me to be a disciple who goes and makes others disciples. Right? So there is a sense in which the gospel is my comfort. And, and it's also my example because now towards my kids, when they fail, I extend grace. When they do things that just irk me or make me upset, I show them the love that God has shown me. And in doing so, before they even understand what the gospel is, they've experienced it. They've seen it. How important it is that when a parent is making, has made a mistake to be able to fess up to that and to say, hey, I messed up. And I know this is very simplistic, but Jesus has, has covered it. He's cared for it. And so we need to demonstrate that in our lives. The second thing this morning is personally I want to challenge us to seek to grow in our walk with the Lord. Uh, obviously that means we need to be in the scriptures. And I'm not going to prescribe to you how often that has to happen or how long that has to happen. But I would encourage us to be people who are memorizing verses, who are in the scriptures so that as situations come, we can naturally address them because we're filled up. And then thirdly, intentionally use mealtimes, car rides, mistakes, and all number of other examples, use those as opportunities to teach our kids. Uh, a few resources I wanted to share with you before I close this morning. Obviously, the first resource that's very important, as it was mentioned, is the Word of God. Uh, Pastor Mike challenged me on this not long ago um, because as a new dad, I was experiencing the joy of uh, my sleep being interrupted, to say the least. And uh, getting up early in the morning to read the Bible, it became more difficult when Braden could crawl and pull the pages and but he said, hey, why don't you listen to it in your car? Right, so we can listen to our Bible, uh, but we need to spend time in the word of God. The second one that I wanted to share with you is family discipleship. This book was written by Matt Chandler. Uh, he's a pastor in Texas. And the thing I like about this book is he's not telling you to do, 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 or do more, 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 more. He's coaching you in how to use what you already have and the time you already have with intentionality. In fact, in this book, uh, you and your spouse can go through and actually create a plan uh, to how to use your natural rhythms to disciple your kids. Uh, great book. I, really, I recommend that. Really enjoy this. Uh, I mentioned this one earlier, Big Truths, Young Hearts. The guy literally recorded in a journal the conversations he had with his daughters over the 18-year period, and then he wrote a book about it. Uh, this is really excellent. It teaches, like I said earlier, it teaches the basic. God is all wise. He is all powerful, and he is all good. So he knows what's best, no one can stop him, and he always does what's best for us. So that book, and then Pastor Mike 
um, specifically recommends this one, Shepherding uh, a Child's Heart by Tripp. I have not read this yet, but we would rec- he would recommend that you give this one a read as well. I know it's been a blessing to him and his family. So these are some resources, um, and maybe we can make them available so you can see them later, that we would encourage to you as you think about discipling your kids. The bottom line this morning is this. Uh, making disciples at home starts with me and then overflows to others. Uh, let's pray, and uh, we'll go ahead and we'll close our time in worship. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you so much that we had the opportunity to hear the kids sing specifically about Emmanuel, that God is with us. Lord, I pray that uh, those words would be true and that uh, the little ones who sang them, that they would come to know who you are, and that they would love you and that they would serve you with their lives. Lord, be with the parents and the grandparents and the family members and just even just church members in the room this morning. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them with the calling on their life to make disciples. Lord, just by the way we live, we can point other people to you. Lord, challenge us in that, encourage us in that. And Lord, as we close in worship, we pray that you would receive glory. And we ask and pray these things in your precious name. Amen.